dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Does a good end justify the means taken to get there? Are leaders authorized to do the good no matter what, by any means necessary, even means that are wrong? Can we judge something as being wrong when it actually produces something that's good? These questions are central to the question of leadership and the decisions we have to make as leaders. Our Lord in the Gospel gives an answer to these questions. So does Saul Alinsky in chapter 2 of his book, Rules for Radicals. Let's compare the two. All right, so we're on chapter 2 here, everybody, of our little journey here into the thought of Saul Alinsky in his book, The Rules for Radicals. Remember, written in 1971, a book that's had a lot of importance because it's trained people who are actually influential in our world today. As a matter of fact, people like Tucker Carlson or people like Bill O'Reilly have said that this book represents really the playbook by which folks of the left, in their opinion, have moved you know, politically to take over the political power. Now, again, that's just their opinion. I'm just using that as to say that, look, this is, this is a book that many people have spoken of as being very important. Hillary Clinton wrote her senior thesis on this book. And Barack Obama question, or, you know, credits Solovinsky and his, this book and the training he got from it for his own uh, political inspiration to work in building communities there in Chicago and elsewhere. So that being said, I think it also just represents a real opportunity for us to listen to what the world looks like without faith. We're, you're here because you're Catholic leaders, right? You want to become people who, who bring the faith of Christ into the world. And so you're constantly trying to do that. It's good every once in a while just to say, if I didn't have faith and I was trying to be a leader, you know, what would I think about things? And I think especially in chapter two here, we see one of the biggest and clearest differences between how you would approach leadership and how someone without faith would do the same thing. It's very differently, actually. And it's because of the choices that are before us as leaders with respect to what means will I take to accomplish the end that I have in mind. All right? A Christian leader will do this differently from anyone else, especially someone who's atheist. And what Alinsky puts out here isn't necessarily an atheistic position, but it's a position that's completely outside of, the, of Christianity. That's for sure. And that's why I call him an anti-leader. It's not because he wasn't effective. Saul Alinsky was effective. It's just that what the way that he, the legacy that he leaves behind as the blueprint for being effective is a legacy that, in my opinion, is flawed. Because in the end, it will undo the very effect it's trying to create. 
in order to do good, is it okay to do evil? Well, you'd almost say that that doesn't even make any sense, Father. And I'd be like, exactly. That's exactly it. In order to do good, may I do evil in order to do good? And Solinsky would say, ah, well, yes. As a matter of fact, you may. So would Machiavelli, by the way, say the same type of thing. You know, when it, in other words, when you're dealing with things in the world, they would both say, you need to wake up. You cannot be a nice guy and win. Nice guys come last, right? They, they finish last in the race. That's kind of the, the, uh, the, the motive here that's going on behind, behind them. They, there's almost like in both Machiavelli and in Aliski, there's like this type of, well, noble ideal. We're trying to do what's right, like Robin Hood. You know, well, I'm not quite sure Robin Hood, everybody, is the, is the picturesque image of what we need to be doing. Because if everyone does what is wrong in order to achieve what is right, my question to you is, is there anything that's right? <laughs> and what you're going to find in chapter two here is that for Alinsky, no, there is no real definition and real concrete uh, absolute telling you what is right and neither is there anything therefore that's wrong. It all depends on your circumstances. Well, and this can be very tempting because you can say, well, that kind of sounds true, Father. There are times, folks, where it is true. Uh, Things do depend on circumstances, but not not in the judgment of whether they're good or bad, but whether or not it's permissible in a given circumstance to allow this or that imperfection in the act for the sake of a greater good. It's a very nuanced kind of judgment. There are certain things you may never do that are simply intrinsically wrong, right? And those are outside of the circumstances. And, and Alinsky is going to take that type of flexibility of the thinking that every leader has to make as we make decisions. You know, it, is it wrong to lay someone off? Well, I mean, it, you know, that kind of can depend. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You know, how do you know? Well, Okay, I can understand that. But that's one thing. And a different thing would be to say, it's okay to do violence in order to make an impression uh, so that more people can get justice done for them. Is violence an acceptable means for justice to be done? Well, and that, you know, and, and so for Alinsky, he's going to say, it all depends on your circumstances. And everything depends upon that. And I'm going to say that's dangerous because when you lose the absolute quality of things, you also lose the guideline for leadership. How is the leader to determine what is morally acceptable or not, or even be trained in what's morally acceptable or not, if you say that morality has no objective basis in things, in reality? The beauty of Catholic thought is to say a thing is good or a thing is bad in itself and an action is good or an action is bad according as it aligns itself with objectively good or bad things now it doesn't mean the world is black and white and we can understand that we have to learn as a leader to navigate in this but there are boundaries to things and knowing those boundaries gives me my a real way to steer the quality of my leadership i will be a great leader if I act greatly, if I act well, 
if I do things that are wrong and I act in evil, how can you call me of someone who leads well? Right? Well, Alinsky will say, don't worry about getting to the end goal. I'm just saying you will be, if you're effective and you change the world around you, then you're a good leader. And that's where I differ with Alinsky. And I say that's where the Catholic Church, or that's at least where God's word would differ with Alinsky. Because we would look at that and say, hang on, that's not the ultimate criteria. The the criteria is not whether or not I could move this amount of sand in the sandbox. I'm not determined to be good or bad based upon how effective I am. That's a worldly vision of leadership. And it has a place to a degree, but it is not the absolute and end be all and end all description of how we're supposed to judge our lives. For Christ, he looks at us and says, have you accomplished God's will? Have you changed the world by bringing it closer to the Father in and through the the total surrender of yourself for his glory? This is what I'm looking for from you. And as a leader, you need, to, you need to perfect this broken world of sin by not doing things that are wrong. The good that will come out of something that you've done out of, that is wrong is a good that will not last. And he shows us that himself as he dies upon the cross. And that death upon the cross is our light. It's that what Olinsky is living for. And I don't necessarily blame him, nor do I judge him as a bad person. But I'm saying that his teaching here is short-sighted. It only gives you a partiality of things. And if we don't recognize it, we can fall into that trap. And I don't want to see that happen. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. All right, so let's jump into chapter two here from Solinsky's Rules for Radicals of Ends and Means. All right, so as usual in his chapters, he starts right off and being very honest. I got to give that to him. He's very honest and very forthright. Uh, And he quotes Alfred North Whitehead here, who's a British philosopher, and he says, quote, we cannot think first and act afterwards. From the moment of birth, we are immersed in action and can only fitfully guide it by taking thought. All right, so that's kind of a neat little quote. And he's like, the idea here again, for he puts right in the middle of his thinking for Alinsky. He's like, I'm dealing with actions. All right, so I'm not dealing with judgments of, you know, kind of morality. I want to know what works. There's a flaw. Guys, you cannot attempt to lead by simply saying, what I got to do is just get to the end goal no matter what. Then I'll be good. If the end goal is good and we get to that end goal, then, then I've achieved my leadership. I say, no, you, you've used your position of power to do something. But that doesn't mean that you effectively led. Your leadership cannot be framed or limited by the perspective of achievement. Achievement is the circumstance of your leadership. It's the framework in which you operate as a leader. You need, you're in a place of achievement. You're trying to get things done, right? I get that. But you're, the reason you're there is to get things done well. Ah. To do things and get things done in a way that is good. You're called to perfect things, not just to move them. This is a big differential. 
Because for Alinsky, that's what allows him to say that, in fact, yes, the end does justify the means. And you as a leader can therefore employ any means you need to to get to the end. And this is not, again, this is a big dividing point. Our Lord doesn't tell us to just get things done. He tells us to get things done in a way that glorifies the Father and to glorify the Father in all that we do. There's a guiding line that, that requires us to choose things well, to avoid evil, and to only use means that are objectively good. There's a moral compass in the heart of a Catholic leader, and you need that moral compass or else you will not glorify the Father, which means that in the end, your leadership will not have been what you were called to bring it to be. So he begins here in chapter two. He says, that perennial question, does the end justify the means, is meaningless as it stands. The real and only question regarding the ethics of means and ends is, and always has been, does this particular end justify this particular means? Okay, he'll repeat that over and over again at the beginning of the chapter, all the way to the end of the chapter, and he finishes with the same thing. His last, last paragraph of chapter two, means and ends are so qualita- qualitatively interrelated that the true question has never been the proverbial one, does the end justify the means, but has always been, does this particular end justify this particular means? He finishes just like he begins, right? Now, I can understand. Now, number one, you got to give a lot, a lot of credit. He's a very bright person. He gives us in this chapter his 11 different rules for how you determine what means to take towards which ends. And, and we can go through them if you want, but the, the real summary of these 11 different rules here that he gives is always the same. He's going to say, depending on the circumstances that you have, you have to choose the means that will be the most effective to get you to the end. So provided that your end is a good one, peace, justice, harmony, you need to be able to effectively read the land to choose the means that are most fitting to get you there. If you do that, then you'll be a champion for goodness. And if you don't do that, according to Alinsky, you'll be basically hiding under the blanket of a morality that keeps you from responding to the need that your brother or sister has uh, objectively for themselves. And then he'll, he'll quote all kinds of examples about this to get this in our minds. And I'd just like to ask, you know, like it's, it's interesting. It's very important to take it because how many people today live this way? How many of us live this way? Is it okay to cheat in school if you can, or if you're going to be a great doctor? You're put, your back's against the wall. You didn't study before the test. You know you're going to be a good doctor. Is it okay to cheat on that test to become that doctor? Is it okay to, to take a second job and, and not have time with my family? I mean, how much time is required? We have to make moral judgments all the time about what's okay and what's not okay. How, how are we going to do it? All of these questions are essentially the same thing. We're asking in a given set of circumstances, what is the boundary for my moral judgment as a leader? When I'm trying to effectuate a change, be that in my family or be that in the world or be that in the business, are there any boundaries to that? And so on the one hand, I think Solinsky he comes forward to say, well, yes, it has to be for a good end. 
And, and, but then in the action itself, is everything permissible? Well, he comes up with what he calls his 11 rules for this, right? He says, on the one hand, first rule is that one's concern with the ethics of means and ends varies inversely with one's personal interest in the issue. Right? So he's making kind of a, a wry comment here saying that actually you're going to be willing to justify anything if you really want it. So I, it's not exactly, this is not exactly philosophy here, folks. Okay, this is, this is a sad excuse for it, but there you go. He's like saying in the end, depending on how intensely you want something, you're going to be willing to bend the rules. Second rules, he says, is that the judgment of the ethics of means is dependent upon the political position of those sitting in judgment. And he tries to give historical things about that, you know, saying that, again, it depends if you have power or not. And that leads him to his third one, which is quite simply that in war, almost anything is allowed. It's amazing how he says almost, but then he doesn't really say how he qualifies that, you know. And he keeps on going and he, he continues just to give different examples. You know, rule number five is that ethics, in, the concern with ethics increases with the number of means available and vice versa. So he's not really giving us principles to go by. He's giving us reasons to say that the end does justify just about any means that you choose. And this, in a sense, it, what he goes back to is a constancy in his thought where he constantly repeats the same thing. And it's this, quote, the standards of judgment must be rooted in the whys and wherefores of life as it is lived, the world as it is, not our wished for fantasy of the world as it should be. This is his basic, and it's so funny because it's the exact same reasoning as Machiavelli. He says, you can have all the great morality that you want, but in reality, you got to be ready to do whatever it takes to maintain power, or in this case, to seize power. Isn't this a great moment, though? A great moment of evangelization. I almost feel like I wish I could have met Saul Alinsky to tell him that while his thinking here has a lot of truth in, in it and is, you know, very potent with respect to keeping power, that there's actually a greater thing in life and in leadership than in power and in being effective. That God has actually made the leader to do more than just push sand around in the sandbox. He's actually made the leader to bring his light and his presence effectively into our world. And it's almost like Saul Liske is waiting for that, that next step that will actually perfect all that he talks about and the, and the different things uh, that are very true in what he says, but he'll perfect it by this deeper light of leadership. And I think that that comes from the gospel and from the Lord. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. So then what does the gospel and our Lord actually say to us about ends and means with respect to leadership? Right? I want to quote to you from a great document by Pope John Paul II called The Splendor of Truth, or in Latin, Veritatis Splendor. This document talks about morality. And in paragraph 72, it, 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 he just really lays it down for us. He says, the morality of an act is defined by the relationship of man's freedom with the authentic 
good. This good is established as the eternal law by divine wisdom, which orders every being towards its end. This eternal law is known by man's natural reason, hence it's called natural law, and in an integral and perfect way by God's supernatural revelation, hence it's called divine law. Right? Acting morally good consists when the choices of freedom are in conformity with man's true good and thus express the voluntary ordering of the human person towards his ultimate end, God himself. All right, so what, what, this is so important because what he's saying here is that when we're acting, anytime that we act as a leader, we're engaging ourselves towards a, a good, namely our own perfection, and we're supposed to be helping other things get to their perfection. This means that if I'm truly leading well, well, I've got to do things that will help the people underneath me to actually advance towards their authentic flourishing. And I can also therefore say certain things that I do are wrong. If I do things that are bad and have my people do things that are bad, even if I want to try to help and do things that are good thereby, I've actually made my people bad. And I myself have become bad in the sense that I have also varied from the law that I needed to fulfill, which is that everything that I do needs to be pointed towards not just achieving the good in a political sphere, but in actually being good. And that can only be done when I act in truth. He does another quote here in the same paragraph 72. He says, the rational ordering of the human act to the good in its truth and the voluntary pursuit of that good known by reason constitute morality. Hence, he says, human activity cannot be judged as morally good merely because it is a means for attaining one or another of its goals or simply because a subject's intention is good. Activity is morally good when it attests to and expresses the voluntary ordering of the person to his ultimate end and the conformity of a concrete action with the human good as it is acknowledged in his truth by reason. So I know this is pretty dense writing here, but let me unpack it for you. What that means is that if, if I am a leader and charged with leading people, I need to be leading them not only towards the good, but I need to lead them towards the good by good actions. If I don't, he says, if the object of the concrete action is not in harmony with the true good of the person, the choice of that action makes our will and ourselves morally evil, thus putting us in conflict with our ultimate end, the supreme good, God himself. In other words, every time that we lead, we're acting. And this is where I would like to like, talk with Saul Alinsky and say, Saul, you know, I, I respect what you're trying to say, and I also respect what you're trying to achieve. You're trying to achieve goodness and justice for people. And, but I'll tell you this, Saul, you can't achieve a just world by making the current world that you live in unjust. You acting in an unjust way or leading people underneath you to act in an unjust way does not allow them to create the world that's ever going to be just. The fact is, when you operate in, by any means towards a good end, you've left the world in the perpetual chaos in which you found it. The same evil, the same problem is there. It's like the swinging of a pendulum. 
Once you say it's by any means in order to achieve an ideal end that actually you're never going to achieve, which is what he actually says in the book. He says, I'm always going to be pushing on because I'm never going to get to the final goal. Well, then you've made this world one of constant conflict. You've made a world of action and reaction. And that amoral or world without moral judgments will never write itself because it has nothing to tie itself onto. And this, my friend, I would say to Solinsky, is not achieving your goal. So on the one hand, you're saying, if only we can employ various means to get to the end, as long as it procures justice for people, I can understand that and I can respect that. But I'd also say that if you do that in a way that's outside of its link to an objective morality, you haven't actually achieved that goal. You have instead procured perhaps a temporary justice, but at the expense of creating a condition that will cause future injustices. If injustice is caused by spite and bitterness and hatred, and you inflict your enemy with things that will make them spiteful, hateful, and, you know, and full of venom, well, you're actually creating the same circumstances for them to create even more states of injustice. And you've done it yourself by allowing those things into yourself. Look at the way that our Lord teaches us on the contrary. He says, when your enemy strikes you on the one cheek, offer him the other. When, when your friend borrows a cloak from you, give him your shirt as well. When someone presses you in for one mile, give him two. I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive, and it will, you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. Press down shaken together and poured out into your lap. Our Lord asks, asks us to right the world of wrong, not by inflicting wrongs upon that world so as to make it right. It'll never work. On the contrary, you right the world of wrong by living the right, even if in the end you end up on a cross. But you live the right because to the degree that you live the right, those around you are inspired to be right. By living well, I bring that goodness to the world around me. And yes, I try to be effective in the political measure to the degree that I can, but I don't denigrate for as much the power that my life has for those who are around me. In fact, I let that light shine and I bring God's love effectively through Jesus to everyone around me. This is the heart of true Christian leadership. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.